Another one of our sponsors I'm excited to tell you about is actually another podcast. It's called People of Product. And it's really about kind of highlighting the way people come together in innovative ways and create all the digital products that seem to be in every part of our lives. And what I think I like the most is that these guys are speaking from experience. You know, we had George Brooks on our show. And besides that, he's like a really genuine human being, just super knowledgeable at creating way more effective teams to get this kind of stuff done. And I really can't recommend it enough. You can find them anywhere that you get your podcasts and I recommend you checking out People of Product. So longtime listeners of the show will probably remember Jay Davis, who's been on a number of times. Well, in addition to being a friend and a consulting client, I'm excited to say now that he's also a sponsor of this show. Last year, when I was spending a lot of time at his company's office, he started a new company called PillowCube, which is this awesome memory foam rectangle pillow. That's tall enough for me to be a side sleeper, but not have to have my head sag down like when I try to fold over my regular pillows. It's really pretty amazing, and for any side sleepers like me, it's great so we don't have to wake up with shoulder pain. On top of that, it's been really fun for me to see him have so much success because it's been selling like crazy. Anyways, if you're a side sleeper, I highly recommend going to pillowcube.com and getting one for yourself. No, that's exactly it. You need to always try to give back. So, I mean, that's what I asked you as soon as I jumped on the show before we started recording. I said, how do I get back to your audience? And that should be your goal on every podcast. Like, yeah, I'd love to sell whoever's listening PR, but that's not my real goal here. It's, it's how do I add value to the audience? How do I give you guys a couple tips? How do you kind of get ideas on how to build your personal brand or run your own PR if you can't afford it. Things like that are how you end up with a more trusted and loyal fan group following and eventually clients because even if you're starting at the beginning, we do a lot of informational videos. Welcome to Innovation and Leadership where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, I've got Scott Bartnick. Scott, I was interested when you guys reached out, you know, a lot of times we've been having, you know, we try to get people who built these big giant companies or maybe they're well-known author or something. But I really feel like even more than an investor, I'm an entrepreneur at heart. Yeah. And so I love rapid success entrepreneur stories and just, you know, checking out some of your other interviews. I've been impressed with what you guys have done at, at Otter Public Relations in a short period of time. Can you give people just kind of a, a quick, just a one minute overview on your career pre-Otter and then kind of some of the stats, some of the early successes you guys have had? Yeah, of course. Well, first off, thank you for having me. Really excited to be here. Uh, so my background, I'm actually an engineer. So I went to the University of Florida. I studied industrial and systems engineering. You mentioned uh, having a background in operations. So I did operations for a Fortune 500 for several years and found myself sitting in a cubicle with no windows in kind of, I was paid well, but I just didn't feel comfortable with what I was doing. I felt like I was basically owned. And that's a, a term that was used in the past by someone else. And that wasn't why I went to school or got this great degree. And so from there, I really started pursuing e-commerce. With e-commerce, I was playing around and really just learning. But my goal was to use my engineering degree to kind of eventually help people do some consulting. And it just never really took off for me. The e-commerce did. So I started doing well. I spent a year traveling Asia and building e-commerce brands uh, and really enjoyed that. I did a little bit of consulting, which I was towards the end, I was starting to get into it. But when I came back to the US right before COVID hit, my buddy who was really big into marketing, he's uh, actually a medical doctor. So he's a DO. He started a marketing company and said, hey, Scott, come join me. Like I need someone to really build the operations for me. And once we tag teamed, it was basically the beginning of COVID. We went from zero to 30 employees 
in six months. And now we're doing about a quarter million a month and just have had massive success. Pretty much it almost feels like out of nowhere. But with that, we're dealing with those all those growing pains of me with only a couple of years of corporate experience and him with no corporate experience and a medical degree. So we're all contracts, legal things. There's all those things that you just rapid fire, even learning how to pay people properly and make sure you're documenting it and the taxes. It's been a crazy journey, uh, but it's been really cool to see the growth and we're hoping to kind of 10 exit in the next year. And did you, did you grow up out in Orlando or where, where did you grow up? I did. I grew up in Orlando. I went to a, a local high school down the street from here, went to University of Florida, only two hours away. But then I actually, when I went to my Fortune 500 company, I was in their leadership development program. So they moved me around every year. So I've lived in 10 different states. I've lived in Asia for a year. I've kind of done that. So I, when I moved back to Orlando, it was the first time I'd been here in about 11 years. So it was pretty cool. <laughs> That's fun. So who is the ideal client for, for Otter PR? That's a good question. So really, we're looking for anyone who's had success already. So it's hard to, a lot of people come in and we get on the phone with people and they're like, oh, like you're gonna help me become successful. And that's really not what PR is. It's more of a branding storytelling position. So after you've done something like this podcast is, if I was a new entrepreneur, you wouldn't wanna talk to me because it's there's no story to be told yet. So with us, we need someone who is willing to share a successful story or is really doing something innovative. So we're looking for CEOs, executives, doctors, leaders in their industry who want to be quoted and kind of build that speaking kind of persona where they're really just considered that expert and that go-to person in the industry. So for me, my goal has really been around e-commerce. So not just marketing and PR, but really how to sell things online and how to build that kind of strategy. And I've tried to build into my operations to that. But anyone who is trying to, again, just position themselves as a leader in the industry is kind of our ideal client. Yeah. You know, I, I think about this space and like I got I got in Forbes a couple times last year and it's it's fun, but not everybody knows what to do with that. Like it's like it's a good ego hike for a minute. But mm -hmm. then how do you how do you actually turn that into business? How do you turn that into, you know, enough repetitions that you actually do become a high profile expert? You're not some guy that had a quote once, you know? Yeah. And, you know, whether it's books or speaking gigs or consulting or just just more inbound clients for any kind of business. Can you talk a little bit about maybe a bit of more of a holistic strategy? Yeah, that's actually a great question. That's one I've never been asked. It's it's really what do you do after you get the story out there? Uh, a lot of people assume that because you've been quoted in Forbes or you have a Forbes feature that it's going to change your business instantly. And I've been featured in Forbes. I've had a whole article written about me. And it did a little bit, but what actually made the difference was the fact that I shared it. And I shared it to my audience, we shared it to my email list, but then I made every single friend that I could connect it with and I asked them to share it because I was so excited, but it wasn't that I was excited, it was that it needed to be seen and it needed to be seen by my network because there, or my extended network, because there is a better relationship by people kind of referring you. So you're basically taking the credibility of Forbes. They've kind of loaned you some, some trust and credibility, but then you're also asking your friends to also give you that credibility by sharing it. And I think that's the magic where for us and for me, I've seen the biggest impact is all the clients that I got from that Forbes article, it wasn't really the Forbes article, it was that a friend shared it and then I had the credibility of Forbes. So it was both. And we tell our clients things like putting the links on your website, having a media kit, I put on some marketing emails, I'll see that put as seen on in the bio, just so people are going to kind of have that credibility and trust. But again, a lot of the marketing that we do is on a, a branding play. So really just building trust and credibility is the strategy, but you have to get traffic to that. And so there's a whole bunch of other ways to 
get traffic that are still important and to make it a full strategy. That's great. So what do people not understand about the PR business and engaging a PR firm? Yeah. So I think I kind of mentioned this already, but everyone, a lot of com- people come in looking for a magic bullet. And I think that PR is really once you've already had some success, because again, people will think that PR is lead gen. And I, in my opinion, it's lead gen is a very different part of marketing. Some PR can be lead gen, especially when you're focused on local newspapers and local radio uh, and local TV. Those, in my opinion, are a little bit more lead gen. But if you're doing a national campaign, a lot of times it really is more branding. And so we really coach clients on the fact that when you're at this level, our focus is branding and conversions. So if I was working with someone like you or a hedge fund manager or someone who needs to bring in funding, what we're doing is helping them build trust for their their story. So if you're asking for $20 million for an investment, it's really hard to give that to you until I saw you're on Bloomberg. So if you until you've been on Bloomberg, until you've been on Forbes, until you've been on these top sites, that kind of give you a lot more trust. And then people look at it and they're like, okay, it's basically making all that information public. It's the social proof that goes with your story because you can say, hey, Scott, you're a great guy all day, but you know, you, you see the blue check that I have on Instagram and then you see my Forbes feature and they're like, all right, maybe I do want to work with Scott. Like, let's see what he has to offer. And that's probably what got me on this podcast. And that's how we help other people kind of take that to the next level. Yeah. So what's an example of what that looks like? Taking it to the next level, it's really, it's, it's step by step. So we'll start off with a lot of clients that start from the beginning. Uh, and so usually what we do with a client is we'll get them a couple of feature articles. So we'll pitch contacts that we have really good relationships with that are going to let us, what I call, and I'll give you the sales pitches, I call them a fluffy article. It, the article is more about you. It's more about the company. It's really kind of written in a promotional way. And we're able to do that because we built a lot of relationships with journalists and editors who will allow us to write something that's maybe not the best story, but it gets a lot of information out. And so that's how we start. And I think that's a really good kind of ground laying platform. But from there, we want to start with the more organic kind of storytelling and really trying to get you to fit into current events. So if there's a big kind of financial trade in real estate, then and it's kind of becoming public information and it's on CNBC and it's on Fox, my goal is to get you quoted or to get you interviewed about that because you're an expert in that industry. And so that's the trick of really taking you to the next level. And then past that, it's kind of building your voice. So what we would do is even farther along is start getting you contributorship access to actually have you be a writer for Forbes, have you be a writer for Bloomberg, have you kind of start getting your voice out there. And then in my opinion, the last kind of step is really becoming a speaker and starting doing keynote speaking and presenting because that's really where you get the opportunity to be in front of the most money, the 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 most niche market where for a lot of people it's it's raising money or kind of getting people to purchase from them. And that's where you're going to have the highest success rate, in my opinion, is those smaller kind of delegate keynote speaking kind of people have paid $10,000 to be in that auditorium and then they're, they're ready to open their pocket and they can afford you. Yeah, you know, it makes me think of the quote, I wish I could remember who it's from, like Mark Twain or Benjamin Franklin or somebody, but it's somebody fancy. <laughs> they said, either write something worth reading or do something worth writing about, yep. you know? And, you know, we get, we get, just because of the popularity of the show, we get many, many people reaching out every week trying to get on the show or, you know, their PR firms are. And so often it's like, you know, so-and-so used to do consulting at a fortune 500, you know, has, has consulted at fortune 500 companies and wrote a book on culture and they'd like to come Mm -hmm. on your show. And it's like, ah, a, that there's nothing really tangible there to sink our teeth into, you know, because we've got that exact email, like 46 times this month so far, just swap out the name of who it is and rearrange the sentence. We, you know, 
and so there there's not the novelty there's nothing there's not enough to sink sink our teeth into right whereas like you know we had a we had a guy on here who i did say yes to because he he helped he was like the co-founder with dr bose in inventing noise canceling headphones at bose and cool. his systematic approach to innovation is so good that both Apple and Amazon brought him in to help re uh, restructure their innovation programs internally. It's like, okay, that is not a guy helped Fortune 500 companies, which is like the most vague statement, right? Like we could sink our teeth into it. Ends up, the guy is like awesome. He's he's so great. Had him on the show, and since then, I've actually referred him business, right? And but but back to your point about like you got to have like what's in it for the journalist? How is this like a I don't know how you feel about this, but I feel like it's like what is the status upgrade for the journalist or the podcast host or the magazine to have you on their property like that that others thinking I don't feel like is is as common. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So basically, I perceive it and I, I tell people that there's a currency. So every in my opinion, everything I'm doing every day is sales. But when it comes to pitching you you have a currency to the journalists. So journalists are looking to get views. They're looking to get clicks. They're looking to build a portfolio and an audience because at the end of the day, these sites only succeed on most of them advertising through views. So you have to have a good story that is relevant to their audience. And so really, I view it as your currency is going to either be a really great story or you've built a really good audience yourself. So I have a larger Instagram and I'm verified. So a lot of times I'll get on shows just because of my personal audience. And so, but again, the currency to you is, or to the podcast is that then I'm expected to go share it and help drive traffic to that, to build the podcast more. So that's a technique that a lot of hosts use or magazines or things like that. But part of it, especially with getting the story out there on bigger scales is making sure that you're adding value to the audience. Uh, And that's how you get on TV. So I mentioned getting quoted on TV or being quoted as an expert is really, they need, they need to fill time, Uh, especially those news channels that are, there's some news channels that are on 24 hours a day and they're just running and they need people to speak about the topics, but they don't care about your consulting business or anything like that. They care about what is trending in the news. So whether it was COVID, anything like that. So really during COVID, we made everything related to COVID, especially during the peak of it. And we have one of our big successes at COVID related. We've had two that were just massive or three. The biggest one was actually an artist who she started doing virtual tours because she was going to go bankrupt and she had to sell her art and she had a gallery in LA. So she got an LA Times but the whole thing wasn't about her art or her going bankrupt. It was about her transitioning her business to Zoom tours to still engage people. And she made it a whole experience. So they would have wine. She'd even send wine to the people before they went on there and she'd walk them through and, and made it fun. And so that story was interesting to the LA Times because it was just kind of heartfelt. It was something that people were currently doing to try to pass the time, but also how businesses were adapting to COVID. And so the reason why it went up there was basically the word COVID. It had nothing to do with anything else, but the fact that we were able to make it relevant and make it worth interesting to the audience at the time, because that's what anyone was ever reading about. You know, I think about one of the guys that I look up to for this stuff. And I, I like, I pitch his stuff to people all over the time, just for free. I, I should get a commission, but I pitch him to people all over the time because I feel like he paid the price to understand how to play the game. So he had, his name's Brandon Kane, wrote a great book this year called Hook Point. His previous book is called Zero to Million. I don't know if you've heard of that one, but he, he'd been in it, maybe you know the story already, but he'd been at big Hollywood studio and helped them figure out how do you get like 
hundred million people to find out about a movie in a hundred days, right? Like how do you really break through the noise? Then he helped ramp up Taylor Swift's social media and Rihanna and Katie Couric. When she went over to Yahoo, he helped figure out how to get her videos, millions of views when they weren't getting those, you know? So then Mm -hmm. he decides, oh, I don't want to be behind the scenes anymore. I kind of want to be out in front. And instead of coming out with a book of like, you know, how to do testing and optimization of social media, he's like, the world does not need another social media consultant. Like nobody cares about that book. That book would, nobody's going to pick that book up. But he, he knew that he could work out how to get a million followers in 30 days. And he, he's like, this is a pre-made story. Journalists, I'm going to make the journalists look good to have a sensational story like that. And so he, he went to a publisher ahead of time and said, hey, if I can do this, will you give me a book contract? And they said, yeah. And then... So he does it, right? gets the book done, zero to a million. And you can imagine like how easy this is for so many journalists. Like so-and-so expert can come on your show and talk about how to go from zero to a million followers in, in 30 days. Like this is a pre-made story. It gets attention. It's, it's novel. They haven't heard it before, right? And he gets like 16,000 people inquiring about becoming a customer because of the media tour. And he gets Ikea as a customer. And he gets all this stuff because he thought about the journalist first instead of himself first. At least that's my take on it. No, you're, you're completely right. You have to figure out how to be interesting. And a lot of people struggle with that. And that's part of what we do is we help with that storytelling is how are you going to get a journalist to pick it up? How do you get them involved? And there's so many different strategies and books and ideas and how to do this. And I think that it really, a lot of times it just takes someone else's perspective to really help you. I know that with my personal branding, I'm always stuck. I look at myself and I, I can't see the solution, but then I sit down in a room with, with our, the, the publicists and the experts in the industry and they're like, oh, you need to do this, this, and this. And they, they critique me for me because I can, it's so much easier to sit on a Zoom call and kind of critique someone else's business, but then you have your internalized, you're looking at yourself and you, you just don't see what the solution or what you think is interesting is not. Uh, we deal a lot of with a lot of clients that are very passionate about their business and they don't understand that we have to tell the story differently than what they're passionate about because the media doesn't care and you got to figure out how to, to really talk to the media. So you absolutely right. And that's a, that's a great point is you need to tell your story. So it's going to be picked up by a journalist and it's, it's broken down to basically a pitch is how are you going to in three or four sentences, how are you going to grab my attention and make me want to write your story? And that's really the strategy. Yeah. You know, I, I've got, you know, maybe a little over 30,000 social media followers, if you add them all up and kind of by accident, like not very intentional. You know, I saw on Instagram, you've got 40 something thousand. Was that intentional? Did you have a strategy or how'd you go about that? Yeah, I had a strategy. So again, I, I don't think I'm the best marketer in the world. I've been very creative. My background's engineering. So I'm, I'm not the like spokesperson. I'm not designed to be on TV. I'm supposed to be in the background. I do operations. I do hiring. I do payroll. So what I've done is I have attached myself to successful people that I admire. And so my business partner is one of them. His Dr. Jay Feldman. He's got 120,000 followers on Instagram alone. He's verified. He's killing TikTok right now. He just started that up. But what I've done is through the networks that we build and getting reposted and reshared and not in a paid way, but just actually connecting with these people in a personal level after and sharing their content and letting them reshare mine in a, in a professional manner is how I've built it. I also did travel the world for a year. And so I did, got most of my followers through that. So most of my audience is more focused on travel than e-commerce because that's what I was really focused on at the time. But the in my opinion, the best way is just connecting with the right people and building valuable content. It's this, again, same way as you're pitching the media is how is your audience going to engage with content and how you're going to get it out 
there and you have to actually drive traffic there. You have to get people involved, whether it's being shared on other accounts. So I mentioned the Forbes article. I actually, I had it shared over 500 times and that was on everyone's Instagram, on everyone's story, on LinkedIn. I was annoying. I had my team go at it. I just every, I emailed messages every person I knew because that to me at that moment was the biggest story that had ever been run about me. And I was so excited. And But I also knew that the value came from people seeing it, not just the fact that it was there. And so that's the same strategy I took for my Instagram. It's just, yes, I was intentionally trying to grow it and I was reaching out to people to help me. But I think that right now your focus should be on where there's organic views. So I don't even spend time on Instagram anymore. I think my last post was a month ago. It's not an interest to me. So if I was trying to build an audience right now, you have to do TikTok. TikTok and, and YouTube for the SEO, I think that we had a client that just got posted or reposted on an account with 4 million followers. They got 100 followers back on Instagram. It was, it was silly and they made $400 in sales with 4 million followers being kind of driven to them. So I think that there's certain platforms that are not worth the attention right now, and you got to figure out where that is. And you also have to make sure that once you do get that attention, your story is designed to convert. So whether that be the the media, the article that's going out there, you got to make sure that it's telling the right story so that when people do see it, they're actually, they don't just see it, but they're interested in, in what you have to do. So again, I'll go back to the art gallery that did so well because of the story. What it what it did was the story was interesting. The art was beautiful. There were photos in the, the publication and there was an easy call to action to schedule a Zoom call and get free wine. And it was just all very well done. And the art gallery sold out in a couple hours. They were they were book solid, sold out of art. And it was that was just the strategy. But it was all designed to convert. And there was a good workflow to it. And it was kind of it wasn't salesy. It was just open and you kind of felt natural. It was like it was there on purpose, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, you think about that statement, like, so for me, like I'm, you know, maybe by nature, a little more anti-social media. I thought, you know, like 10 years ago, I wasn't really into Facebook. You know, lately I thought that TikTok was just for 13 year old girls and Instagram was for college girls to take selfies. And like, you know, LinkedIn is like, okay, there's email for business. I can do LinkedIn, but mm -hmm. you know, the other ones I, I maybe look down my nose on a bit. And yet over time, I just keep seeing how there are serious business people who have figured out, no, this doesn't have to be like selfies in workout shorts. I can do something with it. Right. I, you, like, and you look at like guys on TikTok who can grow a million followers giving solid financial advice. And it's like, you know, guy with a gray beard in a suit on TikTok giving solid financial advice. It's not just cat videos. It's not just, you know, funny videos. Right. And it can be leveraged. I think about, do you know uh, Chris Doe? He's got a group called The Future out in LA. He's an no, art center grad, really, really high-end graphic design, creative agency owner. And now he spends a ton of time online teaching up and coming designers how to have a career, like not just how to do the art, but like how to get a contract, what to do, what not to do, all this kind of stuff. But like his class on like growing Instagram really fast that he gives for free on YouTube just goes through like using every single slide. You know, you can do nine, you know, nine images on a carousel in Instagram, right? And he's like, you know, A, this needs to be attention grabbing, but B, the people who read this, like something needs to be different in their life afterwards. Like you need to give them something they can do with this. It's not just like, you're not doing a post for post sake. Like, this idea of challenging yourself of like, what's in it for them truly, you know, what can, can I try to do them a favor for free that, that engenders liking that engenders referrals that engenders them following you, these kind of things. And I thought it was like, just such a practical example, because people say stuff like you need to do things of value. And I, I liked him giving that tangible example of, 
you know, he's got nine slides and it's a mini story. And it's actually like, it's genuinely insightful based on his 25 plus year career at the top of the game for commercial art, you know? No, that's exactly it. You need to always try to give back. So, I mean, that's what I asked you as soon as I jumped on the show before we started recording. I said, how do I get back to your audience? And that's should be your goal on every podcast. Like, yeah, I'd love to sell whoever's listening PR, but that's not my real goal here. It's, it's how do I add value to the audience? How do I give you guys a couple tips? How do you kind of get ideas on how to build your personal brand or run your own PR if you can't afford it? Things like that are how you end up with a more trusted and loyal fan group following and eventually clients. Because even if you're starting at the beginning, we do a lot of informational videos on YouTube and we really start focusing on that. And Someone actually from our team yelled at us. They're like, wait, you're, you're giving away our secrets. You're telling people how to do it. And I told them if the, our target demographic is not the person trying to figure out how to do it themselves, it's the people that can afford to hire someone to do it. So I don't care if I help people get to the point where they can afford to hire us, because at some point we're still the experts. We're, it's going to be a lot harder to copy our, our techniques, especially with a full team. But if I can help you get from A to B, so then you can start really taking launching your business and be able to work with the experts, that to me is amazing. So we'll put out as much free content as possible and really kind of help build. One of the best courses I ever took uh, cost a dollar and it took my, I, I do a lot of Amazon sales, or at least I used to focus on it. It took my Amazon business from $2,000 a month to $30,000 a month. And I did it in two months from a dollar course. And so I don't think good material needs to be charged because I think that once people get there, there's they're going to get involved with your business and really try to give back in some way, or it, you're just going to help the, the community of entrepreneurs and help get people a happier and health, healthier life. Yeah. What was that class called? Uh, what was it called? It was Brock Johnson's last Amazon course you'll ever need, I believe. Okay. But if you just go, if you Google Brock Johnson, it, he just did a great job and it was entertaining. I mean, I'd already been doing Amazon sales for a couple of years. So it just kind of, it gave me the information to take me to the next level. And it was really more of a, a full scale business course than anything. It talked about supply chain, e-commerce, quality, shipping, freight, just everything you need to know. So it was a great course for the e-commerce side. That's fun. Well, let's talk about your business for a minute. You know, yeah. outsiders, not from the industry. Again, not that like the pedigree of like, oh yeah, those guys are for sure going to break off and start a successful PR firm. And yet, you know, doing a quarter million dollars a month in, in just a few months of existing, not a few years of existing. What do you attribute that to? There's a couple of steps. First off, we didn't come out of nowhere. And both myself and the other founder have a background in marketing. We had been doing marketing in the past for e-commerce businesses. He's a medical doctor. I have an engineering degree. I've been an entrepreneur. This is I'm going at my fourth year. So it, it, even though the company is only eight months old, it there was a lot of work that went into getting us here. And I think that part of what it is is it's really the branding. So there's, in my opinion, there, there's two things. There's getting traffic to your site and the ability to convert that traffic. So for us, we start off just with email marketing, cold email outreach through LinkedIn and things like that. But the goal was figuring out how to actually tell an enticing story that would get someone to open their checkbook. And for us, it was just a lot of testing and figuring it out. And we started our service at $500 with no case studies. Now we charge $5,000 and a lot of case studies. But part of the goal and what we learned is every time we raised our price and things like that, we had to learn how to make sure that we were leveling up. We were converting at that level. We were making sure that we were adding value. And a, a lot of it, and, and what we do with PR is we're helping with communication. We're doing communication audits. So it's 
making sure that every connection is worth something. So I don't know if you've ever done LinkedIn automation where it just automatically basically reaches out to someone based off a keyword. There's a lot of sites that'll do that for you for a couple of dollars, but most people fail at anything like that because their story doesn't make sense. They'll, their call to action doesn't make sense. There's no, no engagement. So one that I've actually seen that's really cool is I get hit with these automations all the time. People will message me. But one that I got that I, I loved was someone actually pitched me and they said, hey, I have this entrepreneur podcast. Would you like to jump on? Uh, we do 15-minute episodes. Like, I'd be happy to host you anytime. And I said, sure. So I got on. I did the, the calendar link. I jumped onto his podcast. It wasn't a massive podcast, but I, I'm always happy to jump on podcasts. They're fun for me. And all I did was sell me. It was a sales pitch, but it was awesome because he got me on the podcast. And he still ran the podcast. He still used it, but the whole thing was a sales pitch. And he had the opportunity to talk to me and tell me his value proposition in a very clean way. And it was just designed to convert. So the, the whole workflow was beautiful. And he got, he can get, I'm sure he converts like crazy with that, or at least gets a lot of people interested in the podcast. That's right. I mean, there's obviously danger there of people feeling like a bait and switch, right? No, um, absolutely. But at the same time, like it's actually been really great for me of like, I, I connect to people who wouldn't take a cold call from me and actually connect with them on the show and become friends with a lot of the guests. And they, some of them have become investors in our uh, fund afterwards. Bec but it was like this like non-threatening way to get in touch and to get connected. And then the other thing, because I do enough of these, I don't need to land everybody. Like I don't have to pitch everybody. It's like, who do I have a natural connection with? Right. Yeah. And, and so probably most surprising to me is how often after an hour long conversation with somebody and there's somebody like, you just get them like, Oh, they're an entrepreneur. They like, you know, you just click. And afterwards it's over shooting the breeze from us. Hey, that was really great. Thanks for coming on the show. It'd be great to stay in touch. What are you doing next? And they're like, by the, by the way, I, I really want to know about your real estate fund. I've, I've got some extra money right now. I'm like, really? Okay, okay great. Yeah. Let's, let's do a call, you know? But it, it is that like personal, genuine introduction that, that doesn't, it's not like, it's not some cold LinkedIn pitch that we all ignore, right? Yeah, you want to actually connect with people. And I think that was, you're right. And that's more the message I'm trying to say is you want to, talk to someone you want to find give them value and it's the same thing with marketing your instagram or your youtube or anything like that what does that person need at the moment and that might be an audience on your podcast or that might just be uh, who knows but you got to figure out what they're looking for and i think that's been a lot of our success is looking for what people are looking for and a, a lot of times with marketing and pr for us it's we've done two things different that most people don't do one we don't do long-term contracts so we're not locking people into crazy long-term contracts. If you deal with most companies, they're going to put you in at least a six-month contract. And the other one is guarantees. I think that for a marketing company, it's, it's hard to guarantee placements and guarantee that we're going to get the story out there. But if I'm going to ask you to spend $40,000 with me and I can't promise to do, give you something in return, that to me, that's just mind-blowing. There's just no way that all that money went to nothing. And there's so many stories like that the first marketing company I hired, I made one sale for $150 on a $20,000 investment and I was locked into a contract. I could not escape. I talked to my lawyer. They were going to sue me for breach of contract if I exited. They like It was just a whole mess and almost bankrupted my company at the time. But to me, it was a massive educational piece of so many things I did not want to do to other people. Uh, and so for us, that's a big part of our messaging and our story and our success are those guarantees and the, the lack of long-term contracts where we're just, and I tell clients this, I'm like, my goal is to earn your business every month. And if we can't do that, I want you to leave. And, and that's how business should be run. You know, there's so many people that they want to offload the risk 
they want to offload all the risk, right? And as a result, they're not as magnetic, right? Yeah. And I actually have to yell at my business partner, Jay, every once in a while, I'll read stuff. And I'm just like, you can't guarantee all of that. Like he's guaranteeing like TEDx speaking. I'm like, we, I, we can't guarantee that to everyone. And he's like, no, we'll be selective. We'll be selective. So there's always that line because there are things that are just really hard to do, but you need to work with someone who's confident enough in their skills to give you some promises. And I, I don't work with marketing companies who can't give me some promises in, in the terms of metrics or sales, even if it's small numbers, even if they're like, all right, well, if you give me $10,000, I can promise you $8,000 in sales for a loss. If you can't tell me that I'm gonna make some of my money back, I'm not gonna work with you. And it's just how it, it should be in business. If, if people invest in your fund, you don't tell them they're gonna lose all their money. Obviously there's no guarantee, but you're you're using historical information, you're using a whole bunch of data, you're using projections, you built a pitch deck, you're, you're telling them what should happen and you have information to back it. So you're doing everything you can to give a promise or a guarantee, even if that's not a written guarantee, because obviously you, you can't do that, but you, you've got to get as close as you can. So tell me this, going from, so from $500 a month to $5,000 a month, was that about a year time frame? How, how long was the time frame for that tenfold increase? Oh, for our, our prices? Yeah. Yeah. So we started pricing at 500 for the first two months, and then we slowly started moving it up every month. And what happened is actually in about July of last year, we went from $20,000 monthly revenue to $100,000 in July. We had to hire 30 people in a matter of 15 days and it was just a mess. And so what we, we had to do is we had to raise our prices. It was just, we couldn't take any more clients and they were all good clients. We were getting great success, but we were just growing too fast. And so we had to increase the prices to slow down the funnel. And that's really, in, during that time period, that's where we did most of our increases. And we've actually done a couple recently where part of what we're looking for now is not to necessarily grow the business by raising our prices or to grow our margins. It's actually to bring in better clients and basically people that have bigger pocketbooks, their stories tend to be bigger. They're, we're working with bigger companies and we're getting more consistent success with these companies who have the track record and, and the history and the the owners are a little bit more professional and they've been here before. So it's there's a little bit less training and work on our end to go get that story out there. And then when we do get them the TV interview, they don't bomb it because they're polished. They've, they've been there. It's not their first rodeo. And so it makes our job a little bit easier. So what we're finding is every time we raise our prices, our our sales stay about the same, but we're, we're attracting a better group of clients. And part of the struggle is figuring out how to convert at that new price. So for us converting $5,000 a month for a client and jumping that to $10,000, we have to change our language, change our communication, change our strategy to then kind of level that up to more of a, a, a larger business and really a, a, a different persona. Yeah. So let's talk about that. You know, you talked about this idea of like continuing to make sure that you're worth the price, you know, that you're upping mm -hmm. your value, not just the price. Yeah. What's kind of your mental framework or what's an example of what that has looked like as you've, as you have gone up the food chain here? Yeah. So every time we're trying to, a lot of times we'll change who we're really targeting. So right now our, our big focus is, like I said, kind of that thought leader, that expert, the person that we're building that brand around. And, and one of the big things that we're doing is with the new price, it, it's really given us opportunity to actually help land bigger placements. So Forbes, Entrepreneur, Inc., those things are becoming more and more common for us where we're replacing something like that every day. And then the CNBC, the Fox business, they're starting to also become more common just because our clientele is better. But we've also added some new value where we have a whole writing staff, which is a little unique, and we help clients do ghostwriting as well. So we have a book writing team. So one of the things that a lot of people like to write is published author. And so 
yes, the book matters and our, our writing team is amazing, but for them, it's, they don't care about selling the book. They care about that byline for then moving them into the speaking. So it's that contributorship. It's that published author. That's that speaking. That's really the next level. It's that personal branding. So we've helped with that. We've helped people get verified with, which is basically, it's just press. So what we'll do is we'll have a strategy focused around getting them the right amount of press and, and get them in front of the right people so that when they do apply to Instagram, Instagram views them as a celebrity. So there's a lot of things like that, which have really kind of flipped the switch and, and really helped us add a lot more value. But similar, it's just a different story. We're just kind of changing it and changing how we're approaching it. So that's that's what we've done to kind of elevate to match that price. Yeah. When you think about this idea of how books play such a role, it's interesting to me because I think very often like getting the information over a podcast or over YouTube might actually be more useful to somebody and more learnable. And, mm -hmm. and yet the book is the one with the cachet. I mean, it's been interesting on this show, how often we have somebody who they, you know, David Cody, you know, he grew Honeywell from like 20 billion to 120 billion. Right. But when he retires, he still goes and writes a book. Like, shouldn't that reputation be enough? But I didn't know his name. You know what I mean? And now there's a lot of like Wall Street analysts, you know, because I do alternative investments, real estate, stuff like this. Right. So I'm not. I'm not constantly glued to a Bloomberg terminal, or maybe I would have known his name, but like in the wider, in the wider world, you know, he still, he still needs avenues to get the word out because whether he wants to volunteer for charities or be on boards or speaking or stuff like that, you know, the, the guy who grew Dunkin' Donuts from a million and a half to 11 billion, right? He, he had this book called From Around the Corner to Around the World. It's a great book. Bob Rosenberg. I really liked the guy. I've had him on the show a couple of times, but he still goes and writes a book, you know? And it's interesting to me, like just what a leverage point a book is. And then if it's a good book on top of that, it could be a significant leverage point, but just a book is, is, can be really significant, right? Yeah. So what we do, it's all about personal branding. So a book is part of our, basically our turnkey solution is there's certain things that we think you need to be that expert beyond your business success. So it's to be that keynote speaker, you just, you want all of those. They're, they're little check boxes that help. It's like um, graduating college. Like you need to take certain courses and you need to do certain things and you need to master certain kind of strategies. And part of that is, in my opinion, a book. I, I wrote a book four years ago, right as I was starting my entrepreneurial journey. I'm not even going to say the name. It's a not well-written. I'm severely dyslexic, should not have been writing my own book. Eventually I'll have it rewritten and ghostwritten by my team. But for me, part of it was just a check mark. It gave me certain things and certain credibility to walk into the room and be a published author. And it gave me, I mean, as simple as a Google knowledge panel because of the book, it links to all of my information. So you, you Google Scott Bartnick, you see, I have a wiki page, I have a Google knowledge panel, you, the feature on Forbes pops right up. So they're, they're just all the little check boxes that people look at when they're trying to decide if they're going to do business with you. And for me, when I walk into a room or I get on a sales call, the conversation changes from the person, from me pitching the person. So now I let them pitch me. And that's one of our successes is that we don't work with everyone. And we're very clear with that. We advertise that you have to qualify. I cancel meetings all the time. I have a sales assistant who'll just let them know, but we remove them from the calendar and they're just not qualified. And I still take most of the sales calls with me and my business partner because we want to work with people like you. We want to successful people. We want to build that relationship. We want to build that that strategy together to kind of change what you guys are doing. And so you you got to do that by being exclusive and really building your your personal brand so that you stand out. Yeah, you know it, it is funny how often people want what they can't have. <laughs> 
you know, like how being exclusive and turning people away can make people mm -hmm. want it more. It's surprising, right? You know, one of my favorite questions that I've, I've asked people more this year than any other time is when you think about one of the best pieces of advice you ever received, what, what's something that comes to mind? Oh, let me think about that. But I'm kind of weird. So it's not really gonna be advice. I take everything as a challenge. I'm very competitive. So I think for me, it was the opposite. It was do not do that. I've had several people when I was going to the entrepreneurial journey, they said, oh, that's not a good idea. You shouldn't do that. And for me, that's what triggered my entire journey. It was the, the forbiddenness, the exclusiveness, the this isn't a good idea. This is against common mentality. But for education wise, I'm actually going to go with a book instead of advice. The 4-Hour week, work week by Tim Ferriss started it all. That was the piece of information that I was missing that changed my mentality that really pushed me to look at new options. I started my first e-commerce business with my still current business partner uh, a week after reading it. Um, and for me, that was the aha moment, the magical moment where I was like, I'm going to do it different. So out of information and books, that, that's got to be my favorite. You know, when you think about his success and being able to get the word out is a big part of it, right? Making some wise tech investment decisions is a lot of things that combine there. But, you know, he attributes so much to the 80-20 principle. And uh, I don't know if you caught his recent interview with Richard Koch, who wrote the 80-20 principle. But when you think about this idea of like hyper-focusing on the very few things that make the most amount of difference and systemizing everything else, what, what's that look like for you? Absolutely. And that's part of our success too. So wherever we can use software, we use software. So one of the biggest pain points that we've had to do is figuring out how to pay people properly because we get they could get commissions for success and things like that. And it was all in a spreadsheet for a while. So using software to kind of reduce that was a big part of kind of just reducing time, using CRMs, using automated tracking, using automatic emails. But one of the big things for us was, and this is what Tim Ferriss talks about, is outsourcing. So we don't outsource to Asia, kind of like what he talked about a lot of his techniques, at least from the four hour work week are not dated, but they have changed a lot with kind of the evolution of the internet and kind of where it is now versus when he wrote the book. But for us, it was hiring local teams because that are uh, having whole staff. So I keep my staff right behind me. We're, we're a team of 30 and half of them sit in this office and it's, it's having people to help you and to remove anything that is not adding a lot of value from your plate as quick as possible. I think that that's really the message that I got from that from his book is how do I stop doing all the things that kind of don't matter? And then empowering your team or empowering your VAs or empowering your assistants to actually make those decisions. So we, we do the same thing as I tell my team basically not to ask me questions, but not in a sense that I, I don't want to be involved. It's that I, I give and still trust in them. I let them know that I trust their decisions. We train them very well. And then from there, they, they can go run it and I let them kind of make their own little businesses inside. And obviously we have reporting out and all of that that you need to have, but a lot of it is giving them the trust to take the lead. And I think that's where a lot of businesses stall is they are not able to kind of hand off work successfully. I'm not a publicist. I tried being a publicist our first month and I was awful at it. So one of our successes is finding out what I was good at and realize that I cannot work with clients, that I... I'm really good as an account executive. I'm really good at the high level strategy. I'm really good at problem solving. I can sell, I can do operations, but I can't write, I can't pitch, and I cannot, I just couldn't be a publicist. And so that's knowing your strengths is how you win. So again, for me, I'm gonna make the most money where I'm either improving our process, so I'm reducing time for the team and making things more efficient, 
or I'm, I'm doing sales and I'm actually out there closing the sales because I'm able to convert at a, a pretty high rate just because of the, the personal brand I've built through the PR that I've done and the ability to kind of communicate what people should do and how their next steps. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, listen, if people want to connect with you, where are the best places? Yeah. So if you want to learn more about Otter, you can just go to otterpr.com. There you can contact us. My personal Instagram is uh, foundscott. I actually respond to all my DMs personally. So that's the best way if you want to reach out to me and you want to have a conversation with me, I'll respond to anyone that reaches out. I'm happy to get on Zoom calls, things like that. I, I love networking and helping, especially inspiring entrepreneurs or people that are trying to build a brand. I'm happy to kind of talk with you guys. And I don't Never a hard sale here. It's just more of how can I help you? And I'll, I'll give secrets. I'll, I'll walk you guys through it. So reach out anytime. Very cool. Well, it's been fun to have you on the show here. Yeah, I really appreciate it. I enjoyed the talk. Bye, everyone.